Okay, welcome to Movie Left, uh, or TV Left, I guess, <laughs> in today's case. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, joined by my co-host. Uh, she is the Marsha Clark to my Chris Darden, uh, LaDonna Loki. Oh. Ouch. Can I, can I be your uh, I don't know that's, who that's worse for, you or me. And of course, the Alan Dershowitz of the podcast, uh, uh, Comrade uh, that, that lines up with my politics on Israel. <laughs> What's happening, guys? Not a whole lot. Another day. So, yeah. uh, You know, as you probably know, uh, because we post the titles to these things before you click them, (laughs) we're covering uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson today. Um, Although it's probably going to be just an excuse for us to talk about the O.J. case and (laughs) tangentially talk about the series. But, uh, you know. Show me the money, guys, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that, or is that the wrong thing? Yeah, wrong that's in movie. the movie. It's in, um, Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, uh, yeah, we should actually just talk about Jerry Maguire, because I fucking love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> we, well, we did that Jerry last Maguire week. Cast. Yeah. Did, did we actually? We did talk about Jerry Maguire a little bit last week. We were talking about... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 the, the manifesto, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and the ripping off Jack Nixon. Yeah. We could probably figure out a way to justify doing that for, for the political movie uh, <laughs> podcast somehow. I don't know. But um, So should we put out a spoiler alert? Because I don't want anyone to know uh, the ending of how this show goes down if they haven't yeah, seen guys, it yet. Spoiler alert for, for the OJ verdict. We might... Uh, <laughs> spoil spoil the verdict and uh, what what happens at the end of that case. Just you know, you're warned now, so I don't want to hear no fucking bitching <laughs> on Twitter. I don't want to, you know, don't direct me your hate tweets. Like we're warning you now. Um, yeah. Also, there are Nazis, so you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> Just and trigger warning. This is going to trigger everyone for one reason or another. So. Yeah. So you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit at the end about our our, our feelings on the OJ case. Although I, I I don't suspect we're gonna have much disagreement as to you whether. Might be surprised. <laughs> oh God, we, we don't have an unpopular <laughs> is, opinion. Part I was gonna for say this, this is one. the most is... unpopular opinion yeah. of all time. But let's <laughs> let's save it then for the end. God. Um, all right. Well, you know, I'm gonna what, what I want to do for the podcast is just we're gonna go through. Uh, each of the episode titles and descriptions for the series, and it'll kind of give us a good jumping off point to talk about uh, what was covered in that episode. So uh, the first episode of the season uh, called From the Ashes of Tragedy, uh, the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman lead the LAPD to the home of O.J. Simpson. So the first episode was really just about uh, the crime itself. They, you know, it, it, it depicted the, uh, LAPD showing up, Mark Furman showing up at the scene, uh, OJ, you know, uh, getting out <laughs> shortly after the crime, you know, was alleged to take place, getting into a car and then going to the airport and flying to Chicago. Um, you know, and then by the end of the episode, we realize he is a suspect and, uh, all of these things. So, what are your thoughts on the first episode and the kind of the, the just the events of the first episode? Because we're going to get into some, you know, conspiracy stuff and I'm not I'm trying not to dive too deep right away. But the bi- one of the big things uh, and I and I feel like it's justified because the kind of the events of this uh, episode are, are within this timeline. Uh, one of the big things people talk about is what happened to OJ's clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of speculation at the time because of uh, a video that was shot by one of the paparazzi is that robert kardashian carried out oj's clothes in a garment bag and this louis uh, or 
I think it was a Louis Vuitton or Versace. It's some very distinct garment bag. Um, you know, and some he, other, but nobody noticed it. Police didn't notice this. That they yeah. kind of did like a, a switcheroony between one per his assistant carrying this bag and then giving it to Kardashian, and everyone's kind of like, "Oh, they're," and somehow it disappeared and never turned up. And whatever was in it, nobody knows. Well, it um, eventually came to court, but it was empty. Like it, right? Which is How a whole other. So they never bothered to ask, like, "Hey, what'd you do with the so, clothes inside? Who who unpacked it? What was in it?" Like, it just, yeah, yeah. Well, so when so, is he supposed to have done that? Is he supposed to have done that? Uh, when well, it's OJ on video. When, when OJ came back from Chicago, yeah. right? In the yeah. car. It's one of the Kardashian things. was that, waiting for him because he yeah. heard about, you know, what happened. See, I kind of think that at that point, if I were OJ, I would have already gotten rid of exactly. whatever. With so, that, with that, that's the point I wanted to make about yeah. bringing it up because that's actually a very, that's one of the most prevalent theories about, you know, Kardashian, how he helped him get away with murder and why they brought him on the defense team because he would have attorney-client privilege and he would be uh, protected. But uh, Marsha Clark doesn't believe that theory. Uh, she thinks, you know, Kardashian was a good guy. And I actually read an interview where she, she doesn't buy into that. Her. Yeah theory and you know one of the witnesses they have uh says they saw oj at the chicago airport not the la airport at the airport he arrived at dumping uh some stuff into a garbage can in the airport you know yeah. so a public garbage can that's probably changed twice a day you know for all we know it's mm-hmm. probably changed pretty often um which is insanely fucking ballsy if that's true that he actually took the murder weapon and the bloody clothes in a fucking checked bag in a, in a carry-on bag on the plane <laughs> it might not even been more than just one thing it could have been just one thing that he thought he could get rid of in chicago it could have just been the knife, Could the, the knife yeah. yeah that's true and but still you know even so he probably didn't plan anything he probably made a lot of mistakes and even so, if it was just that one thing he yeah. he's not that bright you know, no, he's not. A, he's a fucking idiot. And, and he, he thinks he's smart. But, but, but even he would be smart enough to know that even if he dumped that knife, there's still a shitload of DNA in that bag, right? Well, he's got to that bag. For Robert Kardashian, but, you know, lawyers have a certain code, and granted, not all of them follow it. But to, to you know, implicate him in in that director role of covering up seems pretty far fetched to me. He was, you know, a respected enough lawyer. To, why would he throw his entire so, career on the line? Yeah, I mean, I, the, and 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 he, you know, from everything we've read about him and every all the stuff we've heard in interviews, and he does seem. I've watched a lot of interviews with the actual Robert Kardashian, not uh, David Schwimmer, right. and uh, he seems which does I, make I, him more pathetic with David Schwimmer playing <laughs> him. It really does. He's got a very sad sack face. He does. <laughs> I like David Schwimmer, but he's got. Um, he seems genuine, and he is very doubtful of uh, OJ's innocence. And, you know, he's, he's pretty much admitted that he thinks he was guilty, but I, he was very good friends with Nicole. I don't think he would have been immediately like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll get rid of a murder weapon for you. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I genuinely don't think that that was the case. But, um, and he claims that later on he went through the garment bag, you know, thinking after he heard all this stuff, thinking, oh, fuck, I'm going to find the murder weapon. And all he found were, you know, clothes and toiletries and whatever. Yeah, there's still shitload. He knows there could be uh, still evidence in there. So even if he didn't, well, think I he's don't. But the, the, the whole knife, point is, I, the, the the garment bag. The only reason people are talking about the garment bag is because there's a video of him carrying one of OJ's bags that was handed to him by one of OJ's, you know, led by his uh, housekeeper or assistant or whatever. Right. So I, I just think it's a false 
trail that people got led down because it was like, oh shit, we have like a Zapruder film of There's so Kardashian. many different places where he could have gotten rid of. You know, I, I think it would have been yeah. so stupid for him to not have gotten rid of it because the cops had already called him at this point. There's no way he wouldn't have gotten rid of it before he flew back. It doesn't matter if the knife's in the bag. If it's got, if that bag has Nicole Brown's blood inside of it, or DNA no, that's inside what I'm of it. I don't think that that's... bag was the bag he even has stored <laughs> yeah. the clothes or the knife in. Right, that's right. the whole point. Like, I think he, because, so now the reason I brought up the thing But we'll never Chicago, know. We'll never know. Well, I mean, he brought it in the court and they tested it. I mean, who knows, you know, what happened, but, you know, I guess either well, side can take from that Or if it was even the same they bag. Want. They could have taken the tags off it and put it on a brand new one. No one would have well, yeah. done. But again, that's confirmed. But like that either side will find confirmation bias in that, you know, oh. like in that. So, but no, the reason I mention it is because the Chicago uh, witness uh, said that they saw him throw something away. And then his driver, his limo driver uh, in Chicago said that he saw him put a bag on top of a garbage can while he was waiting for him to get in the car. And then he noticed there was one bag missing. So he didn't, act, he probably looked away, didn't see him throw something away, but he was like, Oh, that's weird. There was definitely a bag missing. So that's two people that at least anecdotally say he disposed of a bag in Chicago. That wasn't right. the garment bag. So I, to me that says it was just stuffed in a duffel bag that he chucked in a garbage can in Chicago. I, I it, 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 it's a small thing. I just went, you know, I thought that was an interesting yeah, I mean, it's a story to, that dominated, you know, the Robert Kardashian to, narrative. If you're, you know, you're him and you're panicked at that moment, all of these ideas cause you panic. It would cause you panic to think about bringing, you know, bloody clothes and weapon and so on along with you onto a plane when, you know, luggage gets checked and so on. Checked bags, I think, less so but than how carry How fucking on. lax is TSA back then? <laughs> you could <laughs> right? walk on a plane... You know, presumably, uh, you know. Yeah, but he's the Avis sure, guy. But... He's the Avis spokesman. He probably just ran through the airport they and they were like, his fucking autograph yeah, in there, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. You're supposed to run through the airport with a bloody knife in your OJ. So <laughs> what's the calculation that you make at that moment? You've got all this bloody stuff and you've got to leave. What, you know, do you, you can't leave it there. I mean, there. there's a million possibilities. He either yeah. took it with him. He incinerate. I mean, he could have done a million. He could have thrown it in the fucking, you know. Did they say he checked LA a bag? Because that, that would have been my best guess would he, be. He checked a bag and he carried on a bag, I believe. But yeah. So it could have been in either one, honestly, because they barely did any fucking, you know. Used to be able to bring knives on planes. I right. mean, shit, you know, you can bring a fucking. <laughs> Wait, who ruined that one? <laughs> I don't know. Remember. I, don't, I can't not, remember. Not, not box cutters, but like a regular knife. Like who. Well, I think I think I think after nine eleven they banned any kind of you know stabby object. Couldn't even bring more than two (laughs) ounces of shampoo or a baby bottle. I mean, like prior prior to nine eleven, used to be able to bring like a six inch blade or something like that up to a six or some crazy fucking. Like, why would you ever need that? Like, what what are you going to do the second you get off the plane that you're going to need a fucking pocket knife? Open (laughs) open a beer and like stab the bottom and shotgun it. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, an American. people have, um, you know, like a Leatherman or, you know, different kinds of things that, that might have a, a larger blade in it that they, you know, keep like a, you know, wine bottle opener and, you know, multi-tool kind of devices. So I could, mm-hmm. I could potentially see it. But yeah. So, you know, the, the, the first episode is interesting. It covers that that immediate period. Um, and then it covers him bringing Shapiro and Bob Shapiro, who uh, greatest eyebrows in law enforcement yeah. <laughs> i gotta say i mean how do you think Travolta jesus did? christ god I, you know i cannot what do, yeah what do you guys think? how did he do as an actor or how did he how did he pull it his, off his perform I mean, no his performance like what do you i genuinely don't know if it was amazing or awful like i genuinely could not tell you 
I, I kind of know, thought it was awful, but I think it was kind of meant to be awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he doesn't. There's some characters that have a lot of depth, and they're played by by actors that have a lot of range, and he's not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's supposed Tra- to be that way. Tra- Travolta is not like a horrible actor, though. I think he. Uh, when you're in the Church of Scientology for as long as he's been, you kind of fucking lose your mind. I mean, look at, <laughs> it, you know, listen to a Tom Cruise interview post, you know, 2010. He's a fucking lunatic, you know. Um, so I, 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 I wonder if that's robbed him of some of his, you know, actual, you know, sanity, because the whole thing about Scientology is, you know, you don't need therapy. You don't need medications. You don't need psychiatrists. Just, you know come audit your like it's a whole well, fucking it's not mind body the, it's not entirely the you don't need therapy thing because the reality is it they is do therapy, therapy. Yeah. yeah they, but they, they, they just want to be in charge they act like therapists or, or the you know the right. devil but like it's a whole it's a fucking well, scary, you, but, know, you know it's a racket this, this yeah. is the yeah. whole thing is against the backdrop of how just shallow and superficial la is so they needed to, you know they needed to present that and well, from, I think he's kind of perfect that, for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but from that baseline, that's where all these other personalities actually show their humanity is because you're not expecting it from anyone, right? So they needed that kind of baseline Dershowitz, uh, Shapiro, just the, the the scummiest of the scumbag L.A. trial lawyers to kind of confirm, like, yes, there are those people, and they really are that bad. Well, yeah. So I mean, and and you know, the in the first episode introduces a lot of characters. Uh, introduces the protagonists, you know, uh, Marsha Clark and Chris Darden. Um, but I would also say that Robert Kardashian is 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 kind of on the defense team, at least. Uh, you know, could be I don't viewed know. as I see the him evolving over time into the. I see him evolving over time. Sure, it seemed like yeah. in the beginning of it that you know he was more on OJ's side, but the way they kind of showed it every episode, it seemed like he had more and more and more doubt until the end. He's just like, "What the fuck have I done?" You know. You know. And and that's kind of what people have said about him, like people who knew him, even Marsha Clark's kind of said this about him, um, that he was a genuinely nice guy. And he, you know, at first, did, you know, thought OJ was innocent. And when he started to realize he wasn't innocent, really regretted, uh, you know, taking the case. And, yeah. and well, but, but he couldn't leave because he knew it would convict him immediately. Not every defense attorney needs to believe in the innocence of their client to believe that they deserve the best, most kick-ass, you know, defense and well, trial. Well, he was also that... his, his friend, though. So, I mean, he right. when he realized yeah. that his friend killed his other friend, he was like, oh, my God. You know, ca- fucking... Casting Schwimmer, who, you know, is, is way more likable than uh, the, the real-life guy. Not that the real-life guy is bad. He was a businessman and very shrewd, understandably. For but his, his area of his law stuff, wasn't even but... related, right? It was like oh, he wills would, he, he and didn't like even states. Yeah, he, didn't even, yeah. he, he didn't hadn't even practiced law, law forever. Yeah. Um, but we're, as an audience, we're spo- like, we need someone who's close to, to OJ, the character. You need somebody to, to sympathize to, with right. on the defense team. Because otherwise, because all the scenes with those people are going to be unbearable to watch if we, if we don't have at least one person that we connect with. Right. You know, because we certainly don't. We barely connect with OJ as a character. We certainly don't collect, connect with much of the rest of his, his lawyers, except for Johnny Cochran and only usually in certain scenes where he's talking to OJ. Yeah. Um, right. And he shows more humanity there because he's trying to pull OJ, like whatever humanity out of OJ he can get uh, as in real life and as a character. Um, but yeah, there's, I think they, they had to make uh, Kardashian's character with, um, with uh, uh, 
friends guy. <laughs> yeah, Schwimmer. Um, they had to so make him way more likable. Going back well, to Alan the... fucking Dershowitz is not going to be the audience's uh, window into oh. the, into the I, defense. Do you want to see Paul Giamatti play him though? Oh yeah, he's <laughs> he's, he's equally as sniveling, but uh, but actually the guy who played him, I, I thought did a really good job. Yeah, mm-hmm. but going back to the title of the episode, so the question becomes, you know, what led the police to OJ? And I think about this in relation to domestic violence and the discussion we're having now in society about, you know, whether people that have been convicted of domestic violence should be allowed to have firearms and and that kind of thing. So, you know, if the police had been at, you know, at OJ's house multiple times or, you know, was certainly aware of Nicole's numerous yeah, phone calls, times, yeah. I, you know, is it a reasonable presumption, even if they had nothing else to bring, even if they weren't notifying him, even if they were just there on a, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's reasonable. Now, does that, um, you know, predispose a jury to think certain things probably? And, and you know, maybe they had to find other reasons. But for me, it makes perfect sense. You've got someone who's, you know multiple times uh, you know nicole called about him what was it oh, i, I can't even it remember was, the number. it wasn't it was, multiple it was, long, it yeah. was dozens of yeah. times yeah right so and, and that was what was so infuriating this jumps ahead a little bit but they were saying well mark Furman's past in uh, instances of racism should not be allowed in because it'll cloud the jury's mind well how can you possibly say that at the same time as you say that his uh, OJ's past documented uh, domestic assaults on her should not be allowed because that'll club. That's the that's a pattern of behavior right, right there. Well, <laughs> and know? we know the link now between domestic violence and murder. I mean, they've they've str- shown strong correlation. Yeah. So it's the whole. You know, people don't usually commit murder out of nowhere. Something right. led to it. Right. No, most I, I you know I don't have the stats in front of me, but I did read somewhere that most uh, you know spousal uh, homicides are you know are pre predated by domestic violence so it's like right they show it escalating over time yeah, yeah. um so you know the first i thought the first episode was interesting you know and it d- didn't do a ton it just really set the table you know uh the story that people knew uh so the second so do episode you believe the police though that that they went there to notify him or do you think they they went because they knew of this history um well i mean what what's the I don't either know way the stats, i mean though, but what even even if you're not a celebrity, whoever it is, what are the odds that the hu- if a if a woman gets killed, what are the odds the husband did it? Overwhelming, right. very right. high. Yeah. yeah, it's always somebody in the family. So they, the, I, they I weren't believe... married anymore though. It was an ex in in yeah, theory. So I mean, they really you know. didn't have a duty to go notify him at that point. Well, but he also lived around the block, so they were like, well, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like let's just walk, let's take a quick, you know, bl- walk a, up the block. I think that, you know, some of them at least were like, hey, let's go notify him. And then, you know, they apparently saw, I guess, blood inside of his gate, like, which is why they right. hopped the fence. You know, I, right. I, Mark Furman's a fucking we'll talk about him later. I don't yeah. want to get into well, him the, yet the one, an the first, about him. But the first blood I thought they saw was a single dot of blood on the outside of his other Bronco. Oh, well, on, on his Bronco. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, on his Bronco. Now, the Bronco from the Bronco chase was actually AC's Bronco, I right. think, right? Right, yeah. God, what a fucking... This is... It, let's take... Is this not the weirdest fucking case in the history of criminal justice? Like... I mean... It is trial absurd. Of the century. 
Now, Michael Jackson got pretty weird in a lot of his. I mean, the Jesus juice. I I remember the Lindbergh baby thing. That was a little bit weirder, but, yeah, that was. It's up there, though. But in terms of, like, mega celebrity, you know, fucking just you could not write the way the twists and turns of this trial went. I mean, it worked, you know, perfectly for a TV show. Um, So the second episode, the run of his life, uh, O.J. Simpson's lawyers must handle an intense situation when he goes missing. Uh, so this is the episode that ended with the start of the Bronco chase. Um, but you know, this, this was him preparing to go, uh, and turn himself in, you know, you see, he was at a uh, Kardashian's house, I guess, or Kardashian's condo, whatever it was. Um, right. and you know, you suicidal and they didn't mention it or they didn't make a mention of it, but she was in the episode. OJ had a fucking girlfriend at the yeah. time who like spent like who stood by his side, like, right what the fuck is what what is her deal like i i would love to know what her uh thoughts are now (laughs) considering (laughs) the shit we know but if you're if you're used to being a trophy and you're used to being at someone's side for money then certainly you know that sticking around at a time like that you know would would there would be something in it for you self-preservation though yeah it's kind of why people move to hollywood you know the other component to it is is that Sometimes relationships are different. So I've talked about Ted Bundy before. He actually had normal, quote unquote, normal relationships with women. And so these women were like, I can't, I can't even fathom, you know, him doing this kind of stuff. They had normal sex. They had normal everything. So if for some reason his particular relationship with Paula was different than the nature of his relationship with Nicole, then yeah, you know maybe she couldn't really no understand to it. Believe anything, but yeah. he's a very charming guy too. So he he could easily you know be like, oh, this is this is nonsense, baby. They're just telling you like, uh, right? I, he used to be a not so much anymore. When you see him now, he's a fucking creep. But like back then, he was a smooth fucking talker. You know, like yeah. although when you a, see him in the uh, the civil case where he actually had to give. Uh, testimony oh yeah when he had to get on the stand <laughs> he's a fucking mess falls and apart it, it falls yeah. apart which is uh, it, well which God they kind of show in in the people versus oj where he keeps saying yeah, put me on the stand put me on the stand they're like nah it's not a good idea and they're like <laughs> let's do a test run and you can see how easily he like his just creepy sexist behavior comes out even to the test a prosecutor that they hired yeah oh and it's awful yeah, yeah it's like oh god no you see how he really was as soon as he lets his guard down. Yeah. yeah well, narcissists like that, you know, they, they think they can get away with it. And, and then of course he did. So, well, yeah. so, but the thing is, do you guys think he wanted to get away with it? Now, the reason I ask is because in this episode, they detail the suicide note or the note, you know, that people presume is a suicide note that he, you know, he wrote like five or six notes, one to his family, one to his fans. Cause he's a fucking raging egomaniac, as you mentioned. Um, do you think he just felt such guilt and that he was going to off himself? Like what, yeah, what changed no. for him that so like he, what happened was to save him, they had to like talk him off the ledge and say, no, we still love you. You're so great. We'll get you through this. And that's when he was like, okay, they'll believe whatever I tell them. And that's when he kind of started to like, you know, like we've, we've heard his, his chapter of his book, if I did it. And it's literally <laughs> what he did do. Cause he's not smart enough to make up anything. And what he says, he told the police, if he would have done it, is actually what he did tell the police. Right. So he, he's admitting that he lied about that. And this whole thing about Charlie, this fictional fucking person, it's like it's like Mayor Rob Ford when he got caught smoking crack, made up a, a twin brother that didn't exist. It's well, just that's delusional. Actually, how they got Bundy to talk about his prior yeah. crimes was by doing so that. So I, I yeah. think he he 
you know, erased it from his brain and created this alternate thing and lied to himself over and over until he convinced himself yeah. he didn't do it. And and that's it. one of the great things you watch uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. talk about his research research for the role and the way they would perform scenes is he would be told, okay, I you know play this scene as though you're angry that someone murdered the mother of your kids, and he'd play the scene that way, and then he'd say, okay, play the scene knowing that you did it and you're you're furious at yourself for what you did, and they would play the scene that way, and they would pick cuts based on you know what kind of felt better, you yeah. know, and we don't see any of that. We just see this huge internal conflict. But, you know, as an actor, you, you're, you know, you have to know what you're doing. And as a, as a director, you're trying different things because you, you can't assume one thing. You know, you can't assume the person thought that one way or the other. I when do think that he had to convince though. himself, uh, yeah. you know, that he didn't do it for a period of time. Just in That order Cuba to, had to convince himself? No, that, that OJ, oh, had, that to OJ had to convince himself that he didn't do it, you know, for a period of time. And I think that maybe... You know, even as the prosecution, you know, went along, um, you know, and the defense, you know, got into their alternate theories. I think he went, yeah, it could have been that or yeah. it could have been well, that. And he just he just took all the of other thing so, is memory revision, even unconsciously, happens very quickly under extreme emotional stress. Yeah, it's very easy for the police to convince someone of a crime they didn't commit. It's very easy for somebody to convince themselves they didn't commit a crime that they did commit under the right circumstances. So. You can imagine with as many yes men lawyers as he had telling him he didn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's not hard to lie to yourself when you know you, your life's on When you line. listen to him talk to about it, it's not hard to imagine that he has some kind of a personality disorder, like some kind of a disassociate, but whatever yeah. it is. I mean, we also talked a little bit, um, I don't know if it was off air or on air for something, but we I think it was probably off air, but about how CTE might have been a factor, which doesn't absolve him at all because, you know, a lot of people... Um, who have CT, which they did, you know, a study recently and like something like all but one of the brains of ex NFL players they studied had oh, CTE. About, yeah, multiple head injury. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, literally one of the, the best rushers of all time. So he got tackled maybe more than almost anybody who ever played football, you know, run, running backs get fucking pounded. Right. So, um, it's very possible that the, uh, CTE in his brain, uh, helped push on the you know the, the impulses of his violent behavior. Now that violent behavior yeah, existed, yeah. you know for it's sure. Possible, yeah, but but that that would also be pervasive. It wouldn't just be in one situation nah, in your well, life. Well, it right, would, that's that, not, exactly. not like he had a history true, of domestic violence, so it, yeah, it definitely was there. Well, oh, um, that's that's also yeah. So I, but I think definitely it exacerbated things. Uh, people and, do have like break like a lot of ex football players have snapped and you know like you know killed themselves killed their wives like you know aaron hernandez just mm -hmm. uh a couple years ago you know he was like one of the best uh tight ends in the nfl and he got uh arrested for i i, I think a, a conspiracy murder I, but he he like murdered some dude basically but i mean they they, and they examined his brain he had like it was riddled with ct and the guy was like 29 years old he what, wasn't what even playing that long ct actually stand for like cerebral uh, cr chronic, chronic no chronic traumatic encephalopathy which what it is is basically bruising on the brain mm -hmm. uh from multiple head trauma and you know made which a documentary you about this and espn basically tried to sue it into non-existence because yeah. they had been complicit in trying to cover up uh, numerous reports. Well, that's what that movie Concussion, yeah, yeah that yeah, movie Concussion is all about the story of uh, the Ben Amalu, this doctor who discovered CT and the NFL tried to discredit him and use their legal team to try to, you know, smear this guy 
because he was saying like, look, I'm not, I don't hate football. Like I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to ruin your fucking fun. I'm telling you, you, you're killing these fucking people uh, for your entertainment. And maybe we should starting at a young age. Yeah. Take some steps to fucking address this rather than trying to sweep it under the rug because it's an epidemic. I'm going to say um, something controversial here though. I'm going to say, and you guys can disagree with me if you want to, but I think in his own weird twisted way that OJ really really loved nicole oh i agree i, I think I he totally really agree. did and i think that a lot of times when they showed his tears or or whatever else that that he was genuinely sad that he would have to go on you know without her now obviously there's you know some complexity to that yeah. you know without uh you know someone to beat on without you know whatever their their dynamic was um but i i do think that he genuinely loved her and so i think that also probably came through to the jury of you know it's yeah, hard to imagine someone doing something don't happen like without that. real passion for sure yeah 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 and he and he was a fucking lunatic with violent tendencies but he did it because he loved her and he couldn't stand he was just an insanely jealous person like anytime he would get the slightest inkling that she was you know talking to somebody else or whatever he would fly off in a jealous rate like and all the times that he showed up on that maybe she she might know, have yeah to some degree there are some women i'm not saying she was one but maybe i mean maybe she enjoyed that you know knowing yeah. oh he's gonna come well, over so i'm they, gonna have another guy here at that time and have that candles the, lit in, and... in the show her friend who wrote the the juicy tell-all book to the right. scumbag pulp novelist or whatever yeah. you want to call him and she's just going off she's just like whatever salacious thing she can fling out she will and i'm sure there's some truth to what she said they at least make it appear so in the story but they they only frame it through what this person is telling <clears throat> through who, you know, it's basically saying like, yeah, I'm drunk and do coke benches all the time. So you, you don't, you don't really know for sure, but based on other things, it's, it's it a lot of Hollywood is drunk and does coke benches <laughs> yeah. all the time. Right. So. Well, they I mean, in the show, they don't try to corroborate any of it. They just leave it right. up to your, to yeah. the, to the audience. Cause it's not, it ultimately doesn't matter. It doesn't justify right. it. It doesn't explain it. Um, it's, it's not really crucial to, to although it might all. explain some of it if he was on coke himself. I mean, Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the, lots the, of people are on coke and don't do that. So I don't know. <laughs> the, yeah. Speak, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, impulse control problems and violent outbursts and uh, problems with memory, uh, amphetamines will do that to you. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next uh, two, I'm going to, I'm going to condense some of these because we'll, <laughs> we'll go for five hours if I don't. Totally. Uh, the dream, t the dream team uh, is episode three uh, with a, pro a provocative strategy devised. Robert Shav uh, Shapiro begins putting together OJ's legal counsel. And then episode four is hundred percent not guilty. Uh, as jury selection gets underway, the entrance of Johnny Cochran adds an interesting energy to the case. So these two episodes are mostly about, uh, you know, stocking the benches on both sides, basically, you know, Marsha Clark, um, had a co-prosecutor co and, you know, also, and they, you know, talked about bringing on Christopher Darden because they felt that it would be good to have a, uh, you know, a black guy <laughs> in a trial like this where Robert Shapiro initially started making it about race, um, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about race with the next episode, but, uh, there was fertile ground to make it about race. So, you know, Robert Shapiro saw an initial opening and kind of, I think, dipped a toe in the water. And then Johnny Cochran, you know, dunked uh, his head, you know, head first into that water once he came on board. But well, after Rodney King, I mean, you know, yeah, so the country was we'll, already divided. 
Yeah. So, well, the next episode uh, is called the race cards. So we'll talk a little bit about the racial aspect of the case there, but yeah. just in in terms of the defense team itself, um, so you know, <laughs> it's an it's a really interesting group of people. Uh, it, it really is like a who's who of <laughs> of of defense uh, lawyers. Okay. You know, you have Ethley Bailey, who helped. I think uh, who who uh, represented the Menendez yeah. brothers. Well, he came uh, from the circus, didn't he? <laughs> uh well you might as fucking well have yeah i mean he rep- represented the menendez brothers i believe he represented patty hurst in her trial yeah. like he's a you know and he he actually did not have a great record of getting people off um but um you know he's a prominent name because of the people he represented uh shapiro was brought on i assume because oj knew him previously uh although he also People, you know, Marsha Clark has said in interviews that he was always a plea bargain guy. Like he never. Yeah, they definitely take characterized him as yeah. that in the. And, and that seems to be accurate. Uh, uh, what's his uh, Kardashian? You know, was a buddy of his, so he reactivated his law license just so he can kind of be by his friend's side. Uh, and at this time, I, I genuinely think he thought he was innocent, and he really wanted to make sure that his friend didn't get, you know, set up for murder. Um, or, or just, you know, totally taken advantage of by these even swarmier lawyers who right. that also were yeah. going to come for his money one way or the other. He wanted to make sure his friend who at the time he claims he thought was in it or innocent had somebody there who was going to look out for his own interest, not just be a star fucker. Right. So Johnny Cochran, I have, I have complicated feelings because <laughs> his portrayal in this show, I don't know that it's quite true to who he was. They, they portray him as clearly obviously a very bombastic, guy who tries to win at all costs but they i think they also humanize him in a way that i don't know necessarily that he deserved and maybe i'm yeah well i don't know as much about him in real life as you probably do but just the portrayal um he's one of my favorite characters in the series played by oh, Courtney great, yeah. b vance who uh, the, i think the first time a lot of people saw Courtney vance was in hunt for red october and go back and watch that film, and he steals every scene he's in. He's he's in it throughout the whole film, but you know only as a line. He chews the scenery but, in like the best. Oh, possible it's amazing! Way. It's All amazing. of the casting in this was so good, though. I mean, I, I people really look was. so much like who they're portraying. Oh, it was yeah, like, I mean, yeah. Travolta's eyebrows look just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they may have been rugs. Just Judge like Ito and. Well, they also yeah. they also conveyed the personalities of all these people. I thought like spot on, you know, yeah. for the most part. Well, so with Cochran, they they yeah. um, uh, you know they add a lot of kind of the the sense of racial injustice into his motivation. The flashback scene where he's getting harassed for driving a nice car, you know, that it adds context, but it, I think it does more Especially so today, for yeah. the, the situation of not the situation, but the overall sense of of it. But I think the scenes that really humanize him are the scenes with his wife. And a lot of times yeah. you feel like the like, quote unquote, the wife is there just to be a, someone for the, the you know protagonist to talk to, but she does a bunch of things in those scenes that uh, kind of change his perception, that ultimately make him decide to do it, you know, to take the case. Um, so in that, I feel like those those are some of my favorite scenes are him with the wife, and uh, yeah, it, it definitely makes him feel like he's got a noble agenda when in real life. Yeah, I think that may be one of the more uh, that may be one of the liberties the show took, because I think there was a very interesting story to tell about racism in the LAPD and they needed some kind of a, 
motivation for Cochran beyond just money and fame and, you know, so, and look, I mean, maybe, maybe that is true. You know, nobody, I guess, really knows except for Cochran's wife or the people around him. But, um, I think well, they what, knew not, not that, to jump at, they knew that this was going to be a huge case. And no, for I mean, him, in terms of whether or not Cochran was actually a good guy, a good guy, yeah. you know, in terms of actually wanting that or if he was just you know well, i mean a, whether a you think he's a good guy or not he's still a black man that grew up in america who's sure, familiar sure. with the legal system who's infinitely aware of the, the racial injustice of, of police law enforcement and the entire history of this country so and in that sense that's why it, this is so interesting because right, it, right. it it got beyond just the case this case and got to putting all of our criminal justice system on trial and you know having to acknowledge at that time shit you know, so we, we have a lot of problems there. Well, yeah. So the next episode uh, is called The Race Card, episode five. Uh, and that uh, synopsis is, uh, as the trial begins, Christopher Darden and Johnny Cochran go head to head in court and the jury visits the crime scene. So there's a lot of fucking great. I love this episode. There's so <laughs> much great shit in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, we, we were talking about the racial aspect of it um, you know, and not to jump too far ahead, but what. I, I really, you know, I think what Darden says to Cochran after the trial's over is maybe the most accurate thing about Johnny Cochran, the person, and and the way this case shook out. He's like, you know, you didn't do anything for fuck, for black men in America. All you did was help a rich guy in Brentwood, you know, get away <laughs> with murder like that. So I, the reason I mentioned Cochran is because I I don't know that he was doing this for altruistic reasons or if he just saw a great way to elevate his prominence by winning a fucking huge, you know what I mean? But if you're a lawyer and, and you, I'm not saying he shouldn't, he he, has to do his job, but you know, he exploited the way those people felt on that jury because the way they felt was genuine, was genuine and justified. Is it fair in the, in the altruistic sense? Probably not. It's not fair to the people who were murdered, certainly um, because that argument, um, it trumped a lot of, bulletproof forensic evidence you know and and you see when they go to the house he's like dressing the house up as though with all these things that weren't even there because <laughs> oh oj God, was oj funniest. wasn't Take down us up from his own house yeah, yeah. <laughs> oj like like we you know you said oj was like the whitest black guy in in the golf club house you know like he didn't have all this you know other yeah, stuff no i mean oj prided himself on not associating with black culture he did not consider himself a part of the black community i mean he loved hanging around with his rich white golfing buddies, you know, they, they had to dress up and I don't know how much of this was embellished for the show, but they, I I do know they did go in and redecorate, which is fucking crazy to me that they were legally able to do that. That surprised me too. Yeah. And I don't even know to what degree they knew that at the time. I mean, it seems like they would have had to have known. How can you be judgy to allow that? How do you let the, 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 the the defense run away with your court like that? Marsha Clark says Judge Ito, she, she basically called Judge Ito a cuck on like multiple, in, you know, like in interviews <laughs> nowadays. And like she's she 100% thinks he's, right. He was a fucking fame whore and he did not know what he was doing. He totally had no control over the circus trial that, that you know, that Cochran kind of orchestrated. Yeah. And there was no way for the jury to go to that scene and, and not be prejudiced in some way. So sure, whether yeah. they were going to be prejudiced against him, if he had, you know, lots of, uh, you know, pinup posters, well, playboy how, models how and so you, on, or you, whether they were prejudiced in yeah. the direction of, you know, African history and, you know, thinking he was somehow a redeemable person it's, either way. Yeah. You can't have I mean, them go there and, and view it as a crime scene when it's been months later and you've allowed 
one side of, of the, the, the legal argument to have total control over that environment and change all these things. And that was one of so many it's flaws insane. that you see in the case, you know, it, through watching this is just like, there's so many times when you're like, how on earth could they have allowed this to happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, you know, largely I, I, like, like Marsha Clark will always say, Judge Ito just did not know what the fuck he was doing. He was way out of his depth. Um, but, you know, the uh, the really interesting thing from this uh, episode, and I've gone back and watched the actual footage from the court, you know, footage, is Christopher Darden and Johnny Cochran going back and forth mm. on race. And, you know, Christopher <laughs> Darden. And honestly, like, I, I don't know that Darden had much of a leg to stand on with what he was saying, like about how he asked Ito not to let the N-word be said in, in during the case. And I'm like... Like, I get why he said it, because obviously they're going to just use it to inflame the jury. Yeah, the idea Furman, is it's prejudicial but, in one direction or another, um, no matter what. It's such a heated word with the history of our country. I but, get it. And like, he made a good speech, but I'm like, dude, that, that's not a reasonable request necessarily of a of a judge. Uh, so Cochran really easily swatted that down. <laughs> Um, and I, and I love the, as he's walking back to the, I, I don't even know if this happened in real life, but as he's walking back to the bed, she just goes, you know, and word please as he's walking past him, <laughs> which was so fucking funny to me. Um, and I don't even know if that happened, but like it, it that was it, like, just, that was like the first big crazy moment in what became just a series of insane Hollywood type moments in a fucking courtroom where it's like, how is this? real life like some of some of the shit you would well, see on the during the, and trial, one of the talk like, shows asked Darden, they, they asked on, him was yeah. it personal and he said they made it personal in other words that oh yeah you know, they, they fucking yeah that the defense team you know made it very much uh they know. try to make him an uncle tom like they right. try to make him seem like an uncle tom when meanwhile he actually lived you know in, in the black community and he was trying to uh you know, trying to facilitate change from the inside. Yeah. Well, his, his whole thing was going after corrupt cops. That was his whole, yeah. his no, whole yeah. division. He's fucking great. Like, can you imagine being him at that time? Oh, man. And I this feel, gets I, put in your lap and you're like, oh, shit, this is, you know, like all the cases that you could have. And then you finally get something to, to sort of be in the limelight. And it's, the, you know, such a hot potato. You'd be like, hey. <laughs> Well, and the yeah. show the show does a great job of addressing that, where you know he's excited as as a prosecutor to get the job, but right. as a human being, he knows that they need him to be the the black face of their team, but right. they don't want him to be the black voice, you know. And he says that directly to 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 Marcia, you know, and that's the that's the big um, sort of the heartbreaking turmoil between them is how much they need each other and care about each other, but still are faced with the external realities of how things play as optics. Well, and they talked about sexism in the show or they, you know, they portrayed it, but they didn't really portray that perhaps even Marsha Clark herself getting the case was an attempt to humanize a, you know, a female mm -hmm. victim of domestic violence. So, you know, yeah. there's preferential treatment potentially for both of them. Well, I, I mean, if you look at the way that Judge Ito treated her in the courtroom, it was appalling. Oh, fucking disgusting. She yeah. actually has called that out since. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's done a lot of interviews in the last couple uh, couple months since the show aired. Um, she well, said she was months, used but... to sexism, but never to well, that degree and it, was surprised and it was, by it there. He, yeah. would, he would always refer to uh, Mr. Shapiro, Mr. Kardashian, and he would call her by her first name. In court, right. yeah. in front of everybody. I mean, just the, the level of demeaning that is, where in the mind of the jury or the audience, that they're on it. He refers to her on a first name basis, but not as her 
I don't know if I would have taken that as demeaning or if I would have taken that as familiar. It's I mean, I, low, if I were the other side, I might have been like, oh, yeah. so you're on a first name basis with her, but not us? What the fuck? It, I don't know. It degrades credibility as in, in the minds of people. And, it's and a very, a he probably didn't even realize yeah. he was doing it. Oh, yeah, no. Like, and, and they said they had to have somebody from uh, some uh, women's lawyers group in L.A. go into Ito's chambers with a video compilation of all of him doing it and he was like i had no idea i was doing that i'm sure so so a lot, um, yeah a lot of these biases are not is, conscious yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and like even he fucking made fun of her haircut when she came in with her you know like oh, yeah which it's just like it's so bizarre like the whole thing like i don't know he, he and she yeah. did take such a beating i don't know if we're gonna get into it more later but well for her so the next yeah. well the next episode uh, episode is called uh marcia 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 uh <laughs> and the description reads uh tensions rise as the defense starts uh taking aim at racial uh, implications in the case and as marcia faces an ongoing divorce and negative representation in the media so that's the episode with you know, the haircut and like all the tabloid bullshit about it, which was going on the entire case. But I remember looking like at her and I was, it. you know, young, I think maybe in high school back at the time, you know, right out of high school that this was, uh, what year was this, this case? 95. 94. Yeah, yeah. So I was 90, out of high school. So I remember looking at her and just seeing the bags under her eyes. And this was horribly judgmental of me at the time. And I was thinking, my God, if I ever get bags like that under my eyes, somebody, you know, make me get surgery or something yeah. and and she has since then it was interesting because since then they have tried to and are still trying to turn her into nancy grace so for a while she was blonde she definitely had plastic surgery um and then now she's doing the um the first 48 hours with marcia clark so i've watched all the episodes so far by the way it's actually yeah so did i show. it's good yeah um <laughs> well you know, but i mean they, i remember the media back then media is bad now but back then it was it was you know the bob and tom show races well, so it was but, so you know, acceptable and like, it was yeah, it was a Monica Lewinsky, <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah. and I remember getting that impression by osmosis, um, just thinking like, oh yeah, ugly bitch, you know, just hateful, you know, whatever. Well, it's the total narrative. And I, the I time, look, at, yeah. you know, with, yeah, with, I remember thinking the same thing about her hair, like, oh my god, somebody and, do something with that, and, yeah, yeah. And you look at it now, and, and and granted, the the show definitely lends to understanding what was going on behind the scenes, but it's like, just imagine how much stress she was under, how exhausted she was. With Definitely. all that pressure, who wouldn't have fucking dark rings under their eyes? Well, yeah, you now know? I'm a mom. I know what it's like to, you <laughs> yeah. know, to be working in a job like that, high pressure. And, you know, it's difficult not to have bags, um, you know, even 10 years ago. You know what else happened, though? So. We all got older. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm still 29. <laughs> oh, I'm still 27. I am actually still 29. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Junior. <laughs> Um, so the next two episodes, um, uh, episode seven is uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, the infamous uh, live fitting of the gloves is contemplated as both the, the defense and the prosecution face obstacles in and out of the courtroom. And then the uh, episode eight is uh, a jury in jail. The jury becomes tired and restless as the case continues. Meanwhile, the, the defense, world became restless. <laughs> yeah, right. The defense uh, juggles with the idea of putting OJ on the stand. So, um, Conspiracy theories. That the episode mostly is about the glove and the whole fucking debacle. Another just scene straight out of fucking Hollywood that actually happened in a courtroom. <laughs> um, number, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but so you know, I hate to say the blame, but the defense or the prosecution team made two massive errors, and each one made one of them. So Marsha Clark's 
massive error was putting Mark Furman on the stand, even though Christopher Darden said, look, we don't need him. This is going to be fucking disastrous. They're going to use this to win the case, like all this. And she just would not listen to him. And this is at a time where at least the show portrays uh, that they were basically tokenizing him, where they were like, well, we want you on the team, but we don't, you know. She had had a big reason not to, and she was trying to avoid to. She had every other cop who was there on the stand saying, well, Furman found the glove, Furman found the glove. And they're like, well, why don't you put, why are we talking to you then? Why are we not talking to the officer who found the glove? And it was like it by not putting him on the stand, it looked like they were hiding it, right? So she had yeah, that pressure. She did have that pressure, but I think in retrospect, she would probably agree that she should not have put him on the stand <laughs> um, because obviously he perjured himself. Uh, and then the tapes came out later, which we'll get to. And well, it was in retrospect, all though, they they don't loose. they don't apparently regret, or at least Darden doesn't re- regret the glove scene. And and I viewed this the same way that he did. So when OJ tried on the glove, I remember looking at it at the time and going, it fit. It totally fit. He it was totally fucking, fit. he was spreading his fingers out. like, And, mm-hmm. and it killed me that, uh, you know, well, why we were viewing this so differently and, and, at the time on racial divide, you know, that so many people, um, you know, looked at that and, and were like, it didn't fit. It didn't fit. And I'm like, first of all, he's, yeah, he he's, had gloves on underneath it. Second of all, that thing had been bloody when leather, you know, things like that. He, and it was frozen. Yeah, they it had froze frozen. it and unfrozen, frozen, unfrozen. It, but here, here's the biggest thing, though. If you, as a lawyer, you never ask a question you don't already know the answer to, and you sure as hell don't pull a stunt like that unless you know 100%. It's never but they felt like they knew 100%. Only 300 How do you, no, pairs of didn't. those gloves had been sold. They had the receipt of him buying them. Because if you I mean, are a lawyer, you know that they're going to have those those latex gloves underneath. You know he's going to you know, uh, try to puff his hands well, but, up. And he's, you know that those those gloves have been laid around. They did buy. Yeah. Marsha Clark did point out that they did buy a pair of those gloves um, and have him try them on, you know, without the the gloves underneath later, and uh-huh. they, it showed that they fit. But she said by that point, people had sort of already made up their minds, like this is a smoking yeah, gun, and, but she and was that right. was it. She was right to say that this is a terrible. The optics of it, it, it there's too many variables. You don't want to do something where the yeah. uh, the defense is in control of the situation, and right. Darden was just you know pigheaded about it, much like she was pigheaded about putting Furman on the stand. And they felt you can they directly... had so much scientific evidence and so much proof, yeah. and and. Honestly, when you look at it, I Maybe mean, a little bit of hubris. Did. I mean, honestly, <laughs> almost yeah, definitely. The, you know, she should have pulled. Yeah, she put should have pulled rank and been just said, "No, we're not going to do that. It's going to be too much of a spectacle either way." And even if it, you don't know how much it, she'd thrown her weight around on other things, though. Well, but yeah. the way the show portrayed it, she did say no, and he did it anyway, anyway without asking her. And if you watch the actual footage of it, I kind of believe that's true because you can the look on her face is like shocked when he actually says it in the courtroom and she's like what the fuck are you like she has that kind of look on her face so it's possible he just decided fuck it i'll do it anyway because uh f lee bailey you know provoked him which he's which darden said that actually did happen yeah people have theorized that maybe he was sort of on oj's side and that no i think that's bullshit yeah i agree but you know that's a conspiracy (laughs) yeah um well, no, he fucking hated OJ. He still still like, does. You, yeah. You watch. You know, we we'll talk about it a little bit at the end. But that that thing that just aired a couple months ago, where they with they aired the interview from '06, and they had Darden on now to talk about it. He's like still fucking just <laughs> so you know like sore about it, and rightfully so. Um, but so the a couple of things about the glove thing. The 
Yeah, number one, he had gloves on underneath. You know, they'd frozen and unfrozen the glove to put it into evidence to maintain the DNA on it. Um, apparently, and I don't know how true this is, people say that Shapiro told OJ to stop taking his arthritis medicine, uh, knowing that they might have to try the glove Joints on for this. Flare up. Yeah. That's another theory. And there was also discussion that the, might have, the higher salt content kind of, of jail that, food. Do you think Shapiro I mean, wouldn't tell him to do everything oh, possible? Yeah. If he to, thought about that, like, he totally would have told him. Yeah. Um, and, he, and OJ did have bad arthritis, you know, from playing football. So if you don't take arthritis meds, your hands fucking swell up. So that and, you know, given all of those things, they still fucking look like they fit. Even with him flaring his, yeah. you know, his. That was you know, the hard part for me was how along a clear racial divide at that time, part of America looked at that and saw one thing and another part saw another one. And it weird, just, yeah, it blew my mind. But the weird thing to me was that Darden didn't say like straighten your fingers, like and put them together and then pull the glove. Like that's the weird he thing. Did, he did a little bit though, at least in the yeah. show, at least in the he show. Tried. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he says, you know, you're our, you tell him to straight or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's just overall it's such a Yeah, mess. Darden said he realized, he said OJ turned out to be a better actor than he had thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. What a bitter, funny joke. <laughs> Darden. Um, so, I mean, to me, though, that's the two moments where the case was lost. Those two big mistakes, one made by each of them, uh, you well, know, and obviously you can point to other things. But... Phrase, if it if it doesn't fit, you must have yeah, quit. I mean, I, like, <laughs> yeah, like I, um, I don't, can't think of a lot of other cases <laughs> where they use something like that over and over and over again to really sear it into uh, the jury's mind. So it was brilliant. Yeah, they should have um, come up with one for the, the the blood evidence being like, you know, if it's. Uh, uh, one in 250 billion, then <laughs> you, he killed him. You, yeah. can, you can't be OJ thrilling. Or, I don't know. I bet you after that, after uh, Johnny Cochran came out with that, they probably sat there with their little legal tablets for hours trying to come Just, up with something else. Like, like crossing off all the ones that didn't rhyme but long. <laughs> so um, the last, uh, well, okay, so the second to last episode, uh, Mana from Heaven, uh, Johnny Cochran and F. Lee Bailey go across the country to acquire the Mark Furman tapes. So, you know, at the end of the uh, jury episode, they we, the reporter from the anonymous O.J. tip line finds out that uh, this woman has tapes of Mark Furman, you know, saying just the most fucking reprehensible, horrible things you've ever heard in your entire life about black people, about how, how fucking stupid do you have to be or I guess arrogant? As a cop, to well, he's a fucking douchebag, you know, white supremacist cop. They think that, but d- you didn't know. he sue LAPD because he said that like the 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 force ingrained in him those views that he didn't yeah, he previously did. have, yeah. and they talk about that in the show where he was like, I didn't used to be like this, and, and then through a process, I've of, seen it happen with uh, law yeah. enforcement. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The Netflix series Flint Town shows that perfectly. How normal. You know, not women, slightly uneducated white people get into law enforcement and they get it beaten into their head that all black people are criminals and they have to beat them up. Yeah. Um, so um, Furman, like, is a. It, could there have been a fucking just worst luck in the world that Mark Furman of all fucking people was the one who showed up, you know, to the OJ scene? He obviously didn't show up on purpose. He was just happened to be the closest, you know, cop in the vicinity, closest uh, detective in the vicinity. And it's like if any other detective showed up, they probably would have gotten a conviction. Like I, I genuinely Honestly, think. Honestly, it's it's the the odds of getting a, a Nazi cop showing up 
are not that bad. That's true. That's they, true. It was a it was a cop in but Portland. But one evidence, yeah. like stupid enough, yeah, to to get it recorded on tape. Yeah, that's just. Yeah. Um, but well, so the LAPD at the time and still, but but even more so at the time, it was just riddled with fucking white supremacists. The uh, Bush Justice Department released a study they did, and this this is the George W. Bush, you know, Justice Department, not the Obama Justice Department. Um, released a study about how. Uh, the Klan uh, and neo-Nazis uh, made a concerted effort in the 70s and the 80s to infiltrate law enforcement. They did, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's still, of course, clearly <laughs> being seen today. But um, so, you know, Furman, uh, like, collected Nazi memorabilia. That what, that what they depict on the show is actually true. He did have, like, Nazi war medals. He, extremely he, like, common, by the way. <laughs> extremely common amongst law enforcement. Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. Um, but so uh, he just happened to be uh, a cop that, you know, <laughs> did a, did some random interview with like a screenwriter who was writing a movie about cops, you know. And, and that's when you know someone's really racist when they're comfortable enough with somebody they're meeting for the first time to just openly say things like about framing N-words and, you know, the only good N-word. Like all the, the, the shit he said, just the most reprehensible <laughs> possible. Well, in... in- I don't know how exactly it sounds on those tapes uh, in real life because they do embellish somewhat on the show repeatedly, um, but it sounds like a confession. You know, he's he's given all yeah. this information thinking it'll never come to light because who's ever going to look that hard for it? And he's probably trying to make some extra money. Uh, well, yeah, you don't you know. know what the author or, you know, what that person said about the character they were trying to, you know develop yeah. and what they were writing or whatever so he may have he played clearly, it up worse than yeah. well you know. but he says it clinically almost like he, he he doesn't say it like he's like like laughing yeah, no because like, it's his job it's just so you get somebody just, talking yeah. about their job long enough they will tell you every fucking detail <laughs> because it's shit they can't tell anyone else on the outside yeah yeah but but like you could tell like i've i've listened to the actual fermentation like some of the actual excerpts and it's he's very clinical and matter of fact and like calm about it and he's just like oh yeah you know but we you know we frame him all the time we just it, it's just it, it's crazy and it confirms everything that you know black people suspected about the LAPD it totally right. confirms it so it that was, was like just the, the problem worst was that possible it, it became the person. entire criminal justice system and all of law enforcement that were really on trial and in that sense the verdict really wasn't about OJ at all. It was just about how corrupt everything was and how, you know, whether he whether you thought he was guilty or you thought he was innocent by the end of that trial, it was, you know, but that's all they, that's all they to have say, to do. say beyond a reasonable doubt. Exactly. You know? Beyond a reasonable doubt. If you have a, any reasonable doubt, which there was, which clearly trumped the forensic. I mean, even if you believe the forensic evidence, um, you know, if you feel like this guy could plant evidence, then, yeah, of course, they could have planted OJ's blood all over the place. So, of course, it would match. You know, that's not a hard thing for a jury to think when they yeah. honestly feel like this guy is willing and, and clearly has gone on record stating he has planted evidence, not just would, but has planted evidence to frame people. Well, and a lot of money had gone into the branding of O.J. Simpson, you know, years and years of marketing and the, the truth about him and who he really was and his violence and his temper and all of that had been kept fairly quiet. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess maybe it was an open secret, you know, in some circles, but, um, you know, by and large that, you know, what the public at large thought of him, they, you know, had a very positive opinion of him. So it was difficult yeah. for them to fathom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
Episode 10, uh, the verdict. Uh, Closing statements are given and the jury must decide on the verdict. Effects of the verdict are highlighted for both sides as well as the community. So, uh, you know, this this is where we can really get into our own personal feelings on the case, although I'm sure we've kind of done so most of this episode. Um, And, you know, you you mentioned before we went on the air about how you had some polling on, like, you know, the way people sort of felt about the verdict back then versus now. I think, uh, you know, without knowing those numbers, I would assume that popular opinion has shifted considerably because I, it, you are almost a pariah at this point if you still are claiming that OJ is innocent. I mean, <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So um, they show, and this is from 538. Um, so Nate Silver that does this, this polling, they show, you know, from a variety of polls going back to 95, um, it looked like, uh, uh, whites thought almost 75% of them uh, thought that he was guilty, whereas for blacks, it was under 25%. But what's interesting about this is that both numbers have shifted up over time. So um, now I want to say it looks like about 80, 83% maybe on white guilty and um, maybe 43 on black guilty. So low. That's surprising. Yeah. So there's still, you know, thirty um, percent or so, um, you know, difference between the two numbers, but both have shifted up over time. So, so in hindsight, more a, of us. <laughs> a, 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 another, I know that some people that have studied um, sort of cognitive bias, not not conscious bias, but a, just a over time memories change, your perception of, of things change, um, but the way you remember your own memory, your sort of meta ability to recall what you felt at a certain time, there's no way to judge that objectively, you know? And they've used the um, public opinion on the OJ hearings and trial and everything uh, as, as sort of the basis for that because it is so prevalent, you can get a wide sample on it. Um, and the more likely someone was to have uh, not a strong opinion at the time, the more likely they are now to think they had a strong opinion at the time. Which is really interesting to me because it's it's almost like the people that had, that were really following really closely, their their opinion may have shifted, but it's still probably a strong opinion, right? Yeah. But people who didn't have a strong opinion back then, who might have been good jurors, are now probably have heard more and have convinced themselves, just not even consciously but subconsciously, that even back then they still felt the same way. Well, so there's different reasons and theories in this article about you know, why um, the change in the polls. One theory is that, you know, some of the people that may have been polled back in the 90s have died. Um, Other theories point to the civil suit, which, you know, was one, um, you know, that he was criminally or whatever responsible for the deaths. Civil, yeah. Um, And, you know, other people talk about, you know, uh, changes in perception on criminal justice since then and so on. Um, So, I mean, I think there could be, you know, a lot of different reasons for it. Um, and then our public perception of OJ after the robbery um, and, you know, the audio that I think many of us heard resulting from that certainly portrayed a different OJ than um, many of us were, were aware existed. Well, you got a time. glimpse of the real OJ, I think. Yeah. Which is what they did get in the mm-hmm. civil trial um, that we didn't get. Well, one of the, the criminal one, one of the things uh, they pointed out and uh, it was, I was watching her interview with, uh, with Marsha and she said, you know, well, for one, you're not legally allowed to steal your own stuff back by force, which is what he was convicted <laughs> of uh, in this LA, LA hotel or no uh, Vegas hotel. Vegas, yeah. um, 
and, and for which OJ said, "Well, I thought what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas," which just shows his mindset is like so rooted in the fucking idiot. Yeah. Well, yeah, he also said you know? like, "Oh, I didn't know I couldn't do this." Like ignorance of the law uh, right. has never been. Well, a but one of the things that that Marsh Clark said was that, well, actually, technically, none of that shit was his either. It technically belonged to the Goldmans. It was well, that's all, true. He was, was trying to hide a lot yeah, of this. Right. Yeah. So the Goldmans are owed, uh, I think it was something like $33, 33 million. million. Yeah. And they've um, seen maybe 50 grand of that total so far. Yeah. Yeah. He's dodged them incredibly. And everything he's, you know, people had said that they used to pay OJ in, in cash because you couldn't give him a check. Oh, they still do now. Like, they still do now. Yeah. For any kind of appearance, which it seems kind of illegal. Like, it seems like the IRS would have something to say about that. But, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, and O.J. still, it's fucking amazing. People still fucking love him. Like, he still, he had a buddy, a rich buddy, who let him, after he got out of jail, stay at his mansion. You know, he had a little mini golf course out back, a little putting green. The old uh, boy's network is strong. And that guy <laughs> just died, actually, too, by the way. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what happens with him. O.J. didn't kill him, I don't think. He had a heart attack. But, you know. <laughs> um, so, but you never know, I guess. But, uh, so, and, like, he still, just people stay, and, he like I we, I read an interview that you sent me, comrade, from I don't remember, it was like Vanity Fair or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like people still fucking come up to him and like want to take pictures with him and get an autograph. It's just it's, yeah, it, the, baffling the to me. Celebrity is intoxicating, and when, it's one thing when you when someone's an abstraction. It's another thing when you see him in real life, him being her, whoever it is, and you you don't know what to say. You're speechless. You go, oh my god, that's the guy. That's the I don't even think it would matter to most people whether they believed he was innocent or guilty. It's yeah, still no, someone exactly, famous. Exactly. They would still, yeah. you know, want to get, oh, you know, it's this infamous now um, murderer, even if he'd never been famous. Yeah. Um, they probably would still it's be that way just because like, of black, the way the trial wound black up. Black people that voted for Trump, it was like, whatever, he's more famous. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, there was a few. Yeah, I just, I, 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 yeah. I don't get it, but, you know, so, you know, we mentioned earlier, so he did an interview that just came out this year, uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, from 06, back when he wrote the, you know, clearly exploitative book, uh, If I Did It, <laughs> which never got published, and Judith Regan, uh, Judith Regan actually got fired over uh, that, the whole debacle behind she was that. The, cause it was the editor? Yeah, editor and the publisher or whatever, you know, so uh, the literary agent, I think. But so in, in, you know, in uh, conjunction with that, she did an interview, sit down interview with him where they kind of talked about things that he wrote about in the book. And it's just you listen to him, you know, describing, you know, who is purely hypothetical. But then he just starts saying, well, you know, and then I grabbed the knife and then I, you know, there was blood. <laughs> he's not even smart it, enough it, to he's keep not it even up. Smart enough, or it's not even that he's not even smart enough. It's just, you can tell he almost goes into just a, a recollect, like he's not a, you know, he's not a screenwriter. He's not a, he can't just make shit up yeah, off the top you, of his head. Like he, he's not, he's not king. I read through and listened to, you know, when Bundy did the same thing and the reason why they kept him talking so long was because they were hoping he would do that, would shift over into, you you know, and and he never did, but yeah. (laughs) But OJ, yeah, just totally went into recounting what happened vividly. You see the difference between somebody who planned methodically versus somebody who just had an outburst, you know, uh, as far as how they can, uh, can frame that. That was one of the things when, when, um, the, uh, the book, if I did it, uh, was leaked. They uh, there was you can find this on YouTube. There's a like morning talk radio 
just do a search for Louis C.K. O.J. Uh, it was in the last couple of years. And, it was on the opening Anthony show. Yeah, and um, Louis C.K. doesn't even talk that much on the whole thing, but they sort of they read from it a little bit and they hypothesize like you know either you are really good you know guy at fiction like Stephen King or, or uh, Gal like uh, uh, Mary Shelley, or you did it. <laughs> like those are the two <laughs> options. Well, I think Louis C.K. at one point is like either O.J. is Edgar Allan Poe oh, or yeah. he <laughs> murdered <Yeah>. his wife. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, genuinely, it, and it's fucking chilling. And it's like, how the hell did this get suppressed for so long? Like, you think as the publisher, you have this piece of footage, you would want just for the public good to put this out there, just so people could see him talking about this and see like how he clearly is not making this up. And, you know, In he's clearly, sense, reca- I kind of wish that they would have allowed the sale of it just for some money, you know, to go. Well, to well, they ultimately did. I mean, the book did well, come the out. Goldman's I mean, yeah. And they published they it. They changed the, the little tiny if, and then I did it on, on the yeah. title. Uh, <laughs> Goldman's like an expert. Like, and I, I know he's not trolling, but I, he kind of is an expert troll. Like when, when it comes to everything, OJ, he just like is yeah. fucking well, haunting him. I, like, I thought, I thought, uh, the, um, Fred Goldman played himself in the series almost. Oh, I was, was like, looked yeah, at was so the guy good. who played yeah. him was so great. But yeah, they Looked they will like rightfully so raise a fuss. Any new media comes out about it and says this shouldn't be entertainment. And here's how you can contextualize it so that it's not just entertaining and makes people realize the greater gravity of what really happened. And I I totally respect that. Who wouldn't do that if that was your family? You know? Yeah. I I have a gross prediction. Uh, that the E network is going to pay the Goldmans the remaining thirty or whatever million, so they can do a reality show about OJ. Like I'm convinced uh. that that's going to happen. Oh yeah. Well, they want to. They want to do like the Jinx. Did you watch that series, The Jinx, where they got the yeah, the yeah, billionaire? Robert Durst, yeah, yeah. Well, See, but I don't think for the Goldmans that they were ever in it about the money or care. No, I, know. I think that yeah, they would but be more they interested. Can't, in. I don't think they can yeah. legally turn down a settlement payment if he says, "Look, here's the rest of but it." That's the thing is they would do it because they would hope that if they just put OJ on a hot mic for long enough, he'd forget it's on and he would admit it to that matter. shit. Even if he wanted to admit it now, they can't charge him again. It's still vindication. No, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I, th- I think, I think if, I think that interview from 06 was probably vindication when they saw that, you know, I mean, not enough, you know, not enough, but it's, you, you know, you want having Chris- him in jail helped. Like, yeah. But, but when so many people were rooting for that <laughs> motherfucker, you as the still, family, still, you want everyone to burn for what they excused in that. I mean, well, wouldn't yeah, you feel that you way? Well, yeah, when you see depictions yeah. of, of Ron Goldman and you, you know, they, they idolized him. He was all of their hope, you know, was, was in this child. And they talked about what a good person he was. And they, you know, they, since then they've showed, you know, footage of him and his dad singing and just all of these things. It looked like he was, you know, a, a really good person that, that they were robbed of and for what. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I, that was maybe the nicest moment of the series, and I really it like hits you hard. The last shot of the series, it, it, it's very easy with all the insanity of like the circus trial of the century and the fucking bombastic personalities to forget that this is about you know a guy who murdered these two young you know seemingly very you know nice people uh, in cold blood. So like the last shot of the series is they just flash up a. Uh, picture of uh ron and nicole with like you know their dates of birth and dates of death underneath as almost like a reminder to the audience like hey i know this series is entertaining but like at the end of the day this guy got away 
with killing these two people, like brutally, right. like he cut her fucking head off, like the, it, it brutally fucking murdered these two people. Um, so I think it's always important to not lose sight of that, and that's why Fred Goldman is the way he is, where he's just relentless and going after OJ, and he's gonna fucking haunt him till the day he dies. He talked about that in his interview it. that he thinks that that in even some tiny way that by staying on OJ over the years that that put the financial pressure on him that, that, you know, made him ultimately, uh, do, do the robbery. I, I, that that's true. He couldn't, he, 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 he tried not to, he didn't do any kind of like public work because he knew Goldman would find out about it and get the money for it. And he was very, mm-hmm. you know, adamant, like I'm not giving him a dime, blah, blah, blah. You know, he would say that a lot. Like he said that in that 2006 interview, I think. Yeah. Um, He's such a fucking pr- I, I Every time I see him now, like in an interview, I'm just like this motherfucker, man. Like it, it it's hard to not viscerally hate him. So like, well, and, I, I and don't understand how people are so many by people him. have gone to jail for so much less. Yeah, you know, no, it's crazy. Yeah. It's we we were talking about how the the police will plant evidence, right? And they don't have to plant enough evidence to win a trial. They only have to plant enough evidence to get somebody to confess, right? And we know, or at least the three of us know, that 95% of all the people are, are in jail are there on plea deals because they were threatened with 20 years to life for things that weren't even necessarily a violent crime. And they so they go to jail for three, four, five years, maybe 10 years, because they had just enough evidence to get them get the plea deal, right? So they know it won't stand up to scrutiny of, of a trial, but they can plant just a little bit of evidence to make those kids who are scared of going to jail for 20 life to confess to shit. Maybe they did it, maybe they didn't. Maybe they did some combination in between of totally guilty, totally innocent, but they still confessed to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of those kids don't even have, they, they get like a public defender who is basically, you know, such a plea bargainery. They make, you know, Bob Shapiro look like Johnny yeah, Cochran. Or, like or they, you know, they like, don't have any desire. Well, Donnie, you were talking about kids. how the, 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 the public defenders are so backlogged that the people yeah. who can't uh, pay to bond themselves out are going to sit in jail for three years before they can even have a, a, their first hearing. This yep. kid on Rikers Island who committed suicide after going three years, in ju- sitting in jail for three years horrible. before he was even charged oh for stealing yeah. a backpack, allegedly, you know? Yep. Yeah. And again, this is, again, why, you know, cash bail is just an inherently racist practice. And that's why that DA, Larry Krasner, out in Philadelphia is doing away with cash bail. Because he's yeah. like, look, this is bullshit. You know, rich people get to pay bail and go sit at home while they're waiting for trial and, you know, get together with their lawyers at their leisure to discuss strategy. And these poor black kids who get fucking brought to jail for, you know, smoking a joint, uh, or sitting, rotting in a jail cell for fucking years waiting for their case to be heard. It's so inherently two, unequal. There's two questions on this. There's two different questions. Um, you know, the one question is, do you think he was guilty? And the second question is, do you think, that the jury, you know, made the right decision. And they're two different questions. So I, I want to hear what your thought rephrase. was then. Oh, yeah. And what your thought is now. Well, I was going to say, maybe, maybe if I could slightly rephrase your second question, maybe do, you, do we think the uh, prosecution proved their case? Do, do you think that would be a more interesting? Yeah, yeah. Let's understand that a little bit. Look at it either bit. way. Yeah, um, yeah, or, or, yeah. Or, yeah, all three maybe. So the prosecution. Or... So, first, first of all, we all do, he's fucking guilty as shit, right? Like we all agree. Okay, <laughs> well, but we we've already established what we think. I think to that to that extent, the prosecution, yeah, yeah. you know, relied on forensic evidence, um, which some of which at the time was not completely understood as well as is, as it is now, 
you know, nowadays would you say one in 250 billion uh, DNA match? We know that's the same person. There's no fucking way, right? Yeah. Well, this is also like the first big case where they use DNA evidence, like first prominent oh, case. Well. Like people Which don't even know what the fuck DNA why, was. Like, yeah, the jury were just cross-eyed and hearing all that. Oh, yeah. and by the way, just real quick, as a quick aside, Barry Sheck, the guy you know who who did the DNA for the defense team. Founded the Innocence Project, which is one I of the best that. fucking org. I, I could not believe that when I read that. I was like, "Holy shit, man!" Like, mm-hmm. talk about a complicated figure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things the because you know, for anyone that doesn't know the Innocence Project, um, you know the I think it's it's like seventy percent of the people they've gotten out of jail who were exonerated or found to be innocent were there uh, for being accused of rape when there was no. Uh, there was no physical evidence whatsoever. It was purely based on testimony. Right. You know, and, and in any case of, of forced sexual assault, there's always going to be forensic evidence. For anyone to go to jail for that with no forensic evidence is extremely problematic. Um, so I, I'm glad that they do what they do in that regard. But yeah, it is... they've also gotten people off of death row too, yeah. who were yeah. who were exonerated by DNA evidence. So yeah. it's crazy that that's the same fucking guy that helped get a, help get OJ off by <laughs> no. muddying the waters on DNA. Again, it's you, like like Kardashian. You think someone's innocent, you're going to do what you do with your knowledge yeah. and expertise to to affect that. You know. Um, but it, this also leads into what the jury did. They did what they thought was right based on what was shown to them as evidence. And also, we know what they didn't get to see. And we know a lot of those jurors now have today said, if I knew what the public knew, I would have con- voted for conviction. So, so it, back then, did you think guilty at the time? I was 14, 15 years old, and I was so turned off by the media circus of it that I knew that there's no way for me to know what was real. You know, I knew that it was a good chance he did it. I knew the, the, the verdict was probably clouded by a lot of the media perception or things the jury wasn't allowed to see. Um, but I didn't have a strong opinion at the time. It, it was, I, I lived in the Midwest, and, you know, when you're a teenager, you're not thinking about an, uh, the Most the people are thought century, he was guilty, probably, right? You know, um, I, don't, I didn't know anyone else that had a strong opinion. You know, teenagers yeah, didn't care enough. at the time, at least not in, the, in a cornfield in... in rural Michigan, you know. <laughs> so that's interesting because I saw Chloe uh, Kardashian talking about it and how at the time that the trial was going on, they were actually watching it. Like they'd watch it in some of her classes. They'd turn it on. Oh, they did for me um, too. They did for us too. Yeah. And still nobody cared. I remember the circus. They, I, I they remember cared about seeing the it on chase. every fucking channel, the, the, like every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. It, it was just, it was, um, it dragged on so long that even as spectacle, people lost interest. I was uh I was a little younger. I was seven at the time, and oh I remember. Um, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> and I remember uh, we we had just moved into a new apartment, and I remember like even at that age where you don't really remember a ton of shit. I remember vividly watching the Bronco Chase on like a TV we had set up on a folding chair because we didn't even have like furniture moved in yet. Yeah. Um, and this is back when you could just like have a TV with an antenna to pick up like, you know, news channels. So we just had that set up and we were watching the fucking bro- and it was just so bizarre. I remember like the you know, and I do remember like sporadically um, I have a vivid memory of watching the verdict on TV and seeing a bunch of white people like like booing and crying and whatever and seeing a bunch of black people cheering. And I 
years later i was like oh that that had to have been a fake memory right but then i've seen like the yeah. footage since i'm like oh no that <laughs> that's the way the news at least portrayed it you know and, and not to say that that wasn't necessarily the feeling at the time in the u.s as a whole but i think they certainly played that up to make it more of a fucking spectacle and more of a racial you know i i think the media probably is almost as responsible for that divide along guilty and innocent as the prosecution and the defense are you know, like the way that they portrayed the case and all things like that, you know, especially that, well, that era, you know, that was like a current affair and, you know, yeah. entertainment did it. Yeah. It was just, it was, yeah. the, it was the swarmiest, you know, the worst of LA was the mainstream media. You know, we, we didn't have cable news was still in, in its infancy, but the tabloid TV shows like that, they came, they were, top rated at the time they were legitimate news at the time donahue is huge at the time yeah well <laughs> well totally so started i talking have... against the iraq war and then i was like hey get the fuck yeah out then of they here. fired him for <laughs> taking i had kind of different feelings on this at the time so at the time i remember first of all i remember the whole rodney king thing mm-hmm. and there were two different images in my mind the first one was the footage of rodney king that you know most of us see now you know sort of from far away and you you're like oh my god there's this group of cops and they're just brutally beating this black guy and this is terrible but i also remember at the time someone pointing out that in the actual courtroom um that they slowed down that footage considerably and that they what they would actually show is like they would show you know a bunch of the cops sort of you know trying to keep him down and then they would show him standing up again and then they would yell at him to get down, and they would show him getting up again. Well, and this happened multiple it's like, times. Like the and Bill so, Hicks bit. He's like, if you play that uh, that footage backwards, they show the LAP helping him get up and go on his way home. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so my view of it at the time was, yeah, you know, that from from one point of view and in one way, you know, things can look one way and it can look different to someone else. So, you know, I felt that was complicated. And I kind of, I knew the same thing was happening at the time. I knew that many of us watching this trial at home and knowing the things that we knew at home were different than what they saw in the courtroom at home. It was like everyone I knew was just like, Oh my God, wildly guilty. Like everybody was ready to riot if he, you know, if he got off as, as, you know, as being acquitted. And so um, at the time I was very frustrated, you know, like many people with the verdict, um, you know, now uh, the hindsight of years and knowing even more, you know, what I do about the criminal justice system and, and how unjust it is to people of color. I mean, I was already very against racism, you know, back at the time. I won, you know, journalism awards talking about racism, you know, even in the little suburban, you know, school that I was at. So it was important you were, you were to me. You a little uh, Ayn Rand devotee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, ouch. It, was in, it was important to me back no, then, yeah, you know. But but now I see, I understand the the side of it from the jury's perspective of going. Is there any possibility at all that he could have not done it? And well, I, I think, think yeah. it, now looking at it, I'm like, shit. That's, that's really an inconvenient question because yeah, there's a possibility. Well, I mean, it's, it's really really hard to the believe possibility. I would this agree with that. Why it's riveting on on every political media criticism 
you know, whether you sports, whatever. And they even they have a moment in the very beginning where where they're like, "We got to cut away from the NBA Finals to show this," and they're like, "Why? <laughs> Why are we cutting away?" Because he's like, "Because it's celebrity politics and sports. It's yep. the it's the trifecta. You know, it's going to get every single person in America to watch right now." We couldn't turn away. Yeah, and, and nothing will ever yeah capture as, the as lefties. It concerns us because there's elements of sexism, racism, institutional injustice, uh, media capitalist bullshit you know it's still fascinating to us even though we at the time had somewhat negative views of the entire process you know it, as even as spectacle we didn't like it or at least i didn't like it not trying to speak for y'all but um it, it's it's more interesting now seven, than it was seven. there yeah so yeah for you it was like the challenger <laughs> the, the challenger blew up i was seven or six or so so that was kind of like i didn't yeah. understand round the clock media coverage i just knew something bad happened you know when that happened but uh yeah yeah, no, and, and it's just nothing will ever capture people's imagination like that again. It, short of, like, Tom Brady murdering his wife, like, I don't think anything could d- d- really draw people in the way the OJ trial did. Is, and is that a basketball like, game? The- I don't know sports. So I'm going <laughs> to pretend like I don't sure. know what's in there. Sure. <laughs> Even I know that one. <laughs> Plain dumb. <clears throat> yeah, it's really tough to look at in hindsight um, because I feel – you know, for the jury now, more so, even more so than I did at the time. Well, I wonder if any um, of them regret it. I don't know that oh, they, they do. do. Yeah, they, you think they, they do? The minute they were out of that cage, they started doing do interviews saying, I, I didn't know all this stuff that was inadmissible. Yeah, well, they'd say, I, you know, I still believe he did it, but I, the verdict was the verdict, you know, that, that they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily prove it, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't actually even disagree with them. I think that the prosecution uh, made a lot of fatal errors in that case. So, and I think the defense did enough of of uh, did did their job in the sense that they did create reasonable doubt, even though, you know, looking at the evidence on its face, there shouldn't have been any reasonable doubt. So I, I look I think, at it and I think that the prosecutors were outlawed like a thousand oh, percent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If they'd had the entire resources of, you know, Los Angeles put it there. Well, it seems crazy they were still that they didn't have, but it seems crazy they didn't have like a bigger legal team. Like I, like I, you know, budgets, yeah. And I think Marcia Clark, you know, just watching her throughout the trial and her poise, I think she's an amazing lawyer. But they were going up against literally the fucking dream team of like six or seven of the world's, well, you know, it, it, yeah. best or most it's, notorious it's, lawyers. The, like, the whole fuck. system was inverted, you know, and ironically, it was for a black person. Where usually it's the the. The, yeah, it's usually the, the DA who outguns the the public defender that that poor black people are. It's the only legal representation they have, and here it yeah. was totally the opposite. You know, and I think that was another element. There were people were kind of like, you know, finally the it's the black guy who's going to have the the full legal representation that should, you know, theoretically be afforded to anyone. They should all, everyone should have that level of legal representation. So Darden said in interviews since that he had heard that OJ confessed like multiple times, like, you know, while he was in jail, you know, and since then, um, but for whatever reason, it it wasn't admissible. Uh, Maybe he didn't have lawyers present or other things. Um, Do you think that before he dies at any point, he'll ever come clean? I mean, I think he more or less has, but I, I, you mean like, like actually say, yeah, I did it. Like, you know, not Charlie or <laughs> hypothetically. Or, yeah. For I don't um, know, the sake of his soul. I don't think so. <laughs> He's too much of an egomaniac. He, 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 he'll write a note like to his fans about like thanking them for standing by. He still thinks he's, he's still a hero of his own story, even though 
he knows what he did. I don't think I think a part of him still thinks he's innocent. Probably in some wouldn't fucking want his kids way. to think worse of him. Yeah. It, it, you so know, it's fucking kids. Yeah. The, the redemptive quality of confession. I mean, you guys are grew up Catholic. You understand that what that does to people when yeah. they think you know right or wrong. At least you admitted guilt, right? But you only have to do that to the priest. So you know, well, the public the, but <laughs> the public already loves him, even when when he is controversial. If he confesses, yeah. like maybe he's more liable for shit. Maybe he gets more hate mail, but he can still be insulated from that. I mean, it, it's. He's holding on to something that that I think you're right is ego, where he can't um, he can't drop that veneer, right? The thing that's bringing it back to the show for a second, every scene you see Cuba Gooding Jr. in, he's with somebody else, right? He's always with somebody yeah. else the entire series, and he has up somewhat of a front all the time, even when he's sad, regretful, remorseful. You feel like as though he's putting on a little bit of a show, right? He, you can tell he's and, acting like OJ is acting, not Cuba. Right. Like OJ, yeah, Cuba as OJ is acting, you know, right. for the people he's talking he, to. It's, it's still effective. But the moment when yeah. you finally see he, Cuba Gooding Jr. by himself for the first time in that shower, he gets out of the shower and looks at himself in the mirror. Episode. That episode. Yeah. That moment, that scene is fucking terrifying. Because you feel like as the audience, you're alone with him for the first time. And you're going to see who he really is for the first time. And there's no one else there for him to perform to. And I love that scene. That scene is its still ambiguous, but it is, it's very understated. But it makes you really afraid. It's very striking. Yeah, it's like extremely. It's, it's, and, and, and you don't realize that you've never seen him like this. You realize that the, all the veneer is gone. And, and it's, it's for us as the audience. It's for him looking in the mirror for the for at least for the first time that we're seeing him look in the mirror after it's all over, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I do want to commend Ryan Murphy, you know, the showrunner, and he directed a lot of the episodes too. I believe he directed the 10th episode, just a fucking f- phenomenal job telling the story. Uh, you know, the cast and just everything about the way the show is shot. There's so many, just really uh, the the way they blended the kind of courtroom footage that people that would immediately trigger people's memories of those, you know, of those, those court trials yeah. uh, with, you know, just really creative cinematography, I thought was really, uh, you know, kind of masterful. Uh, Sterling K. Brown actually won the best supporting actor Emmy for his performance as Darden, uh, which I thought was, you know, really deserved. He was actually up against uh, Cochran, the guy at Courtney B. Vance. pissed. He's pissed that he didn't get any money for this because he felt that they took from his book. Really? Um, yeah. Well, to, they, they certainly, yeah. They what? So the way I kind of described it to people is like all the courtroom stuff. They basically recreated, you know, kind of shot for shot as much as they could. Yeah. Um, and all the the interstitial stuff, I think they just kind of took from a combination of everyone's books because everyone yeah. wrote a fucking book about it except for Ito. Yeah. I mean, he the the Darden was kind of is made himself unapproachable. Like, uh, even the guy who played him reached out to him multiple times on multiple different formats by Facebook He's still <laughs> and, very bitter uh, and about text it. and everything. And he hasn't really replied, you know. Um, Darden still, I, you, you watched that interview, like, from the, the OJ interview that they just aired, you know, a couple months ago. He's still super bitter about it. And I don't really blame him. I mean, his whole, you know, reputation, he had to leave... He ended up leaving uh, the justice, the the DA, you know, the DA's office. I yeah. think he went to do like non criminal law. Like after that, he was just so fed up with. Uh, How can you not be? How can you not be? And with disgusted? and with the LAPD, he was fucking disgusted with the shit that came out during the trial about Furman. Like he, it really affected him, and he hated that he had to uh, almost defend him to an extent. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a lawyer, like you're going to lose some cases, but well, a, a mean, case that like long. Kicking the nuts of all. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> but you got to realize like in, in any case, there is a chance that you will win or you will lose. You know, or you get a mistrial, which is basically a draw. And that was the that was by far the worst scenario for all of them, that they all wanted to avoid a mistrial. Um, so yeah, I understand. Which I, I think it should have been, by the way. They should have taken a mistrial. A thousand fronts on which it was a but mistrial. But they all they all realized <laughs> that there was no way they were going to find an impartial jury at a year and a half later. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, I understand how that could be uh, just career destroying on a personal level, but it's like. You win some, you lose some. You go back out there and you keep fighting. I know he didn't completely quit law, but still, it's. I mean, his his whole premise, his whole premise in law was to take down corrupt cops, right? So, in a way, he kind of did that with Furman, <laughs> even though he didn't want to. <laughs> um, but like that, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't. I'm not the guy. I'm not in his head. But that would only confirm why you, to me, why you would want to keep doing that job. Yeah, I, I don't. It's possible we haven't heard the last of him. Ooh, possible. Of, of Darden. Yeah, that, that sounds well, like I a mean, setup for like a superhero sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he pops up Keep every now and then. He 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 actually is on TMZ a lot. Whenever there's an OJ story, they call him um, for that weird like you know in the car driving shot that they always seem to want to do with people. I don't I don't understand why. I that bet is. you TMZ like, it's like, pays him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, probably. Well, but he was on that, you know, like I mentioned that OJ thing, the the interview that they aired, and he was like, this is like vindication for me. Like, I, I think OJ Simpson just, you know, admitted to murder. And like, for all these idiots that still say he's innocent, you know, mm-hmm. he mentioned how Kanye West wore like a free OJ shirt on Keeping Up with the Kardashians <laughs> once. He's like, yeah, well, what? How do you how, you still think he's innocent after hearing that? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> like, you, you're gonna tell me that? Going back to the Goldmans, um, that was one of the things that I think prevented that from airing. Was the Goldmans were like, this is just you're just capitalizing on this, and they didn't want people to make money off of it, yeah. right? But they, yeah. they, um, the Goldman family um, gave their stamp of approval on this, this not re-airing, but initial airing many years later with the the new contextual stuff to say, hey. Now what we know about, um, you know, uh, serial abuse leading up to a homicide, mm-hmm. like now that we understand this better, that's why we're airing it with this new context. And the Goldman family yeah. was totally okay with that. They were like, now you get it. Now you understand. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not just about entertainment now. Now it's about learning from what happened. Did they ever establish if, if, if Ron and Nicole actually or remotely involved at all they i i yeah maybe that's another question for us do you guys think i think they almost definitely were i mean he was coming over to her house uh to return a coat or like something like that sunglasses that she no, left. It was, or sunglasses it was like yeah 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 i thought it was she had a bunch of candles lit her, like yeah. they, they were you know but the, but that's fine like she was single like she you know um I, yeah i think the dignified almost takes away you know from from the fact that he was murdered and she was murdered, yeah. you know, even yeah. if he was just a friend, maybe they were just interested and nothing had even happened yet. Is that reason to be murdered? <laughs> no. no, definitely not. Um, but no, I think they were. And, you know, maybe they would have had a great relationship if, if OJ Simpson didn't cut their fucking heads off. So, you know, I guess we'll never know. Um, but it's it's really a shame uh, that the <laughs> that everything shook out the way it did. They kind of made her out to be a cougar at that point, you know. They did, yeah. Yeah, and, like uh, uh, preying upon like a young just, you know... Tom Cruise-like waiter sort of figure. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but she just seemed like, look, she was fucking, you know, freshly divorced. She was trying to get away. The the saddest thing that came out, uh, you know, and I don't think it was really in the series, but I it came out. I, I in a lot of the extended kind of research I did for it um, was that Nicole was trying to find a place. Uh, she was trying to move away from OJ because she only lived like a block and a half away. Because mm-hmm. I think at first she also did kind of want to, you know, she she also had like an on again off again thing with him where she couldn't quite quit him you know but then eventually she was like look this is bad for me he's a fucking monster i need to get away makes makes these things very difficult for for victims of domestic violence because with when children are involved a lot of times women are forbidden from leaving the state and so it becomes extremely difficult for them to get away from their yeah even outside of the abuse just if you have a hostile relationship with with the father you know you if you totally sever that cord, they may become vindictive. And anytime you want to travel, you have to get permission from the father. This is the thing I deal with yeah. my job every day where you have, uh, they, they, they maintain contact with somebody who's abusive, not because they're afraid, but because they just don't want the father to forbid them from traveling when they want to travel, which they can do. Yeah. Yeah, they can. So, um, and yeah, you know, in, in, I think it was like even the week or so before the murder, she was looking at places like, in, you know, it's still in California, but like considerably further away from him than where she was. And I think the combination of him knowing that and maybe walking over and, you know, bumping into Goldman, because like the, he used to like sit outside of her window and watch her have sex with people. Like a bunch of her friends have said that, like, you know. He's a fucking. Hey, the things lunatic. couples do. <laughs> no, but like not, you know, like yeah. he, he he's a fucking. If she knew it lunatic. and she allowed it to happen, I mean, you well, know. that's the thing. Like if they they had a weird though, relationship. Like, but... Okay, do it if that's your king. But if you're enraged by it, stop. But going he would do by. it. Enra- yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. It was like a yeah he yeah. So I think the combination of him knowing that she was moving away and then maybe you know actually coincidentally bumping into Goldman when he got there. Um, just fucking he snapped like he just lost it and he you know did what he did uh i assume you know maybe nicole heard and came out but as a woman uh, there are plenty of times that i've lit candles and and gone to have a nice bath and you know with no idea of romantic anything just as something nice for me so i don't think that necessarily indicated one way or another and if he had, you know, happened to come by at that moment to well, return but, the glasses. But that's, that you know? was certainly the thing he thought when he saw the scene, I'm sure. Right, I'm sure. Uh, which is all that really matters because well, that's what sh- snapped the him. Thing is, the thing to of... remember is uh, Charlie certainly saw it that way. <laughs> 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 For anyone listening who doesn't know um, this, this thing um, that we've referenced sometimes, Charlie was the pseudo-fictional character that O.J. made up in his book, uh, his accomplice. If I Did It. His alter ego. Yeah, it's very unclear still if it was an actual person he's claiming may have been there, or if it was just another part of his memory, like his like. It's almost definitely just his but, yeah personality. So we sort of joke that every time it's a thing that he doesn't want to admit that he physically did, he, you know, <laughs> just says Charlie shunts did. over to this alternate personality who must have actually done it. But he's also well, the, strangely the voice of reason who's like, "No, Jay, don't do that. Would you just do? You know, like he." It's, <laughs> He's also he's guilty, but he's also the the voice of reason at the same time. This this Charlie well, the, the, character. The crazy thing is in his confession, not confession from that interview, he he doesn't try to pin it on Charlie. He says, "Oh yeah, well Charlie handed me the knife." And then I don't remember happen, what happened. And then there was just blood everywhere. So he even admits that he was the one who fucking did it. Just Charlie gave it's, him that. Like, it, it's so bizarre. 
I mean, yeah. It's so crazy. Talk about the, the weakest. Con- Maybe they would have tried an insanity uh, plea or something. I mean, uh, which, you know, it, you know. it almost never works, especially if somebody right. has a, a high price. That's lawyer. probably one of their. That was probably one of their first thoughts, though. Yeah. So. Um, <sighs> yeah. So you know, it's it's just a fucked up case. Um, but it's so, really hard to look at it from Marsha Clark's perspective. You oh, see man, that you've yeah. been gifted this case, and and you see the just overwhelming evidence i mean you know blood here blood there both of the victim and all of the blood everywhere and all of oj's stuff it was like you just you couldn't possibly imagine it as anything other than a slam dunk so i I think that was there that was her weakness. history was so terrible to her you know the media was so terrible to her judge you was so terrible to her that I, you know, seeing her now do interviews and she has this light in her where she feels vindicated. She's a very likable person and, now, and, even and now. Like, it's I, crazy. It's almost, it reminds me of, again, uh, another 90s media spectacle throwback is I, Tanya, you know, where uh, Tanya Harding feels vindicated by this uh, biopic movie that shows that it wasn't, she wasn't this evil person. She had this terrible circumstance and things were done without her say so. That now you feel like Sarah Paulson has has performed, uh, you know, Marcia Clark in such a humanizing way that you see this huge depth of what she was going through and trying to prove this case. That now we're all kind of like, holy shit! Fuck the jury, fuck the judge, fuck the 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 defense. The prosecutors were right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite scene in the whole thing was the shot glasses when it showed uh, oh, her and Darden in the bar. Yeah. yeah, and she explains, you know, how exactly it would have to be that this gets from here to there and there and so on. Um, but they asked Darden uh, in an interview uh, when this uh, was airing um, if he and Marsha Clark had been involved, and there was enough of a pause that he I didn't. Think he didn't deny it. I saw. Yeah. I saw that he. They. They totally fucking. <laughs> Let's get down to really think about it. Cracks knuckles. Which is awesome, you know. Good for them uh, if that Why happened. Why not? You know, stress. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny to me because I'm a very I don't say I'm anti-cop because it's like a horrible just generalization, but I I have a very strong distrust of cops. Uh, with you know an evidentiary basis. Uh, I can't for, imagine why for you doing so. Wait, but, this um, podcast is called Move Left Idiots, and you have a hard time saying you're anti-cop <laughs> no i don't w- w- what i'm saying is I, I typically you know i i don't like fucking da's i don't like cops but like you know marcia clark inexplicably you know when you say the when you say da my first thought is like kamala harris who's a fucking vile piece of oh, shit yeah, yeah. and but but you know marcia clark also a da but i just i have a very you know, favorable and sympathetic opinion of her. So it's, it's just weird to me, but I think it goes to, I mean, how powerful the media is in shaping, you know, our, our perceptions of these different people. And, you know, when you get the full story, the truth is all of us are much more complex than any of these, you know, one-sided character portraits will show the truth Mm -hmm. is you know oj is much more complex marcia clark is darden all of these i don't know that kamala iris is much more complex (laughs) i'm sure she is um, briefly in the show she's probably more corrupt than we even (laughs) briefly on the show they touch on um the whole why a lot of d or a lot of prosecutor people are uh they're so hard asses because they have political aspirations and it's the scene where uh bruce greenwood's character uh, as the the head, you know, chief of the all the Garcetti. Yeah, uh, he says, Garcetti. "Well, I guess I'm not running for mayor now." 
and Bruce, or no, Gil Garcetti, excuse or me. Gil Garcetti, yeah. Garcetti's Bruce Greenwood, who is amazing in everything he's in, from from Nick's Cutoff to the Star Trek reboots, uh, phenomenal actor. But um, you know, I mean, a lot of the ones that really want to throw, you know, lock these kids up and throw away the key, they want the 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 tough on crime record to get into politics because they thought that would work right and now like this guy it you did. talked about well for a long time it did but now you see that that's that's a, a political liability now to say you you locked up all these young kids that we now know so many of them were put away without without a reasonable doubt at all without any trial at yeah. all so hopefully it swings the other way well, you know, Kamala Harris uh, argued that uh, we shouldn't release uh, prisoners early because we uh, the prisons would lose a valuable source of prison labor. So oh she's a super God. fucking cool person. Uh, but then, and then the later, the centrist defense of that was, well, she didn't say it; her office said it, and she later on walked back those those statements. Oh, yeah, because because her fucking office totally releases shit that's totally antithetical to what she thinks. Give wasn't me wasn't her break. staff who said that she should prosecute these the the fucking bank assholes, and she re- rejected their. Uh, oh well, that that is true. Yeah, she yeah. did go against her staff when they were like, "Hey, we have like a thousand incidences of uh, fraud, and we could probably find a thousand more. Why don't you go prosecute?" these fucking maniacs nah well i don't want to <laughs> no reason given but the obvious reason was that hey steve mnuchin donated to her fucking campaign exactly and then all of a sudden well, oh wait they could I don't also wanna... be prosecuting fraud you know for the next millennia with the number of cases they had they were just <laughs> they're just letting them commit more crimes before they spring the <laughs> trap in 20 or 30 years <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I mean, maybe the one of the most obvious and documented cases of pay-to-play corruption that you know exists in our current, uh, you know, at, at the top levels of our government currently, and people are talking about her seriously as if she's a contender for president in twenty twenty. So you know, mm. tells you all you need to know about the modern Democratic Party. I feel like our podcast is bleeding over to the the regular. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm trying not to, but I got I got on DAs and cut, yeah. yeah, just fuck. Um, well, speaking of our regular podcast, if you like what you hear from this uh, show, check out our regular podcast where we talk shit about uh, current goings on and not things that happened in 1995. Uh, you can go soundcloud.com slash move left. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support the show, you can do so over at Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash move left uh we have a bunch of archives of our uh, previous episodes up there of the movie podcast we've done we've done reviews of they live um uh jfk uh how to let go of the world which is a uh, climate change documentary by josh fox and uh, we're going to try to do these, you know, at, at least two, uh, two of these a month. So you, if you want to support the show, uh, help us out with some of the hosting costs, you can go over there again. That's, uh, patreon.com slash move left. Um, final thoughts on, uh, I, I think it's a fucking great series, by the way. I think anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, yeah, I was kind of bummed in a way that I missed out on the hoopla of when it was first out yeah, and everybody was really glued to it. Yeah. I didn't watch it until after you guys had mentioned I watched it. it on Netflix first time. Yeah. Same. So, you know, I, I, usually I, I wait until, you know, most people are over things, but I do think I kind of missed out on a little bit of the discussion, but still very worthwhile. Great casting. Um, I think they did a really good job with it. Yeah, I, I mean, if it can inspire this much discussion this many years later, I, I don't I don't credit that with the swarmy Entertainment Tonight 
you know, zeitgeist of the past. I credit that with, um, you know, FX creating a, a really good show. Uh, you know, instead of writing it 13, 14 episodes, they did that concise 10 episode format that I think works better for a, uh, anthology series or for a mini series. Um, and the acting, I the think casting series, was, would, was phenomenal. Uh, and I think a lot of people had a lot more insight now because of what they've seen and what they weren't allowed to see 25 years ago. Um, so yeah, fucking great show. We have yeah. to rate this with hammers and sickles or something. Um, five, five for me. Five hammer about, and sickles. Yeah, a hammer, sickle, five. and a gavel. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Gavel and a bloody knife, or gavel and a bloody glove. Oh. Uh, five gavel and bloody gloves. I'm going to give it 4.5 bloody Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll probably go with 4.5. Yeah. That's All fair. Right. That's fair. Yeah, you know, well, no, I'm not going to change mine, but I, the only reason I would change mine is because I, you know, I'm not 100% sure of the the way they kind of lionize Johnny Cochran uh, behind the scenes. I don't know that that's quite accurate, but you know, maybe it is. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll reserve judgment and I'll keep it at five for now. Um, I didn't like the casting of Schwimmer. I thought he came off really? as, yeah, too pathetic. I mean, you know, I, I Kardashian might've really... been pathetic, but I think he came off as way more pathetic than, yeah, he, than necessary. Way more endearingly pathetic than cold, calculating pathetic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I actually Travolta, really... I think overacted a bit, but no. Travol- Travolta Travolta <laughs> it up, but you know. Yeah. What's, what's I mean, the Scientology I... movie he's in? Earth Earth. What is it called? The Battlefield. Oh yeah. God, Battlefield Earth. We should review that just for the fucking fun of it. Who knows? Um, what about... <laughs> I haven't seen it. Oh God, it's the it. worst movie ever. It's based on an L. Ron Hubbard book, so it's like uh. you know, um, that tells you all you need to know. But uh, it, it it it's yeah. I I, ne- I never found myself laughing so much at unintentional comedy on the show than during some of Travolta's like yeah. facial expressions and like we the should chin do that then the... because you know people do need to laugh right now politics is hard right now that's one thing yeah. I was saying that you guys I appreciate mm. about our regular podcast and this is that we do have fun with it you know it can be serious topics obviously but you have to find some ways oh, to, to make light of some, some of, these of the things, things we laugh about uh, after, before or after the show I'm kind of like maybe we should <laughs> record that because it's really like <laughs> Pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable to laugh at, but no, I, I think people should tweet he, at Cast and tell them to fucking loosen up their restrictions on their ten hours a month for fucking yeah. well, their subscription service. I, I think we laugh at well, things to um, to make sense of it, to not just have gallows humor, but to have a sense of you know why do we talk about things? Why do you try to make sense of things? Why do we try to find the humor in tragedy? It's not because we're sadists it's just because we're trying to f- empathize and try to find a way to not feel bad huh? and we'll go fucking crazy if we don't i mean you, yeah. you can't the just stressors of everyday life and and i work in politics you know to top it all off i need uh these moments of levity <laughs> yeah no definitely it, it, yeah and, and i think people appreciate that i think you can go to a lot of places. You can go to Democracy Now! if you want the news given to you straight Draw. without you know, a ton of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so yeah, no, it, yeah. They do great. They do great work, but they're fucking very dry. I mean, it's very. Yeah. It's a very dry show, you know? And if Amy Gibbon laughs about something, it's awkward. Yeah, it's weird. It's like a row. It's like fucking watching Zuckerberg laugh. It's like, what the fuck? Um, who will we will talk about plenty this week? Check us oh. out on the main show this week because I will have a fucking field day talking about that bug-eyed fucking reptilian <laughs> lunatic. Android. Yeah, 
We should. I, I was. I was saying off air that we should. We should really cover the Social Network at some point because I. I, I think that movie Man, you, really you gives you an insight office. into. It's like you only want to review films that are. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good. It's. Yeah. It's a good it window is, into well, into modern day. It, Fincher, you know, fucked up people. Fincher knows his shit. I remember when the social, social Network came out as a film. People were like, "This is David Fincher's shittiest movie," and I'm like, "No." Oh, yeah, that's no, no, crazy no. to me that people say. I remember. <laughs> People saying that, but that's crazy it, to me. Well, it's like, the same thing with with uh, they didn't Mindhunter it. or Mindhunters is that they don't they think David Hinter is like the Alien Three, uh, Fight Club Seven where he just does like gory shit. They don't realize that David Hinter is one of the best directors for long extended dialogue scenes that are twenty twenty five minutes where they, all the drama is just in the words, you know, and and the acting with no action yeah. whatsoever. And that's what makes the social network so scary is because you realize that the implication of what's there, that, that, you know, four or five years ago when that movie came out, people were like, oh, it's Facebook. What's the harm? And now we're kind of like, oh, my God, <laughs> they know everything about my life. Even when I'm not on it, they can see all the other apps I'm using and where I've been physically in real life. It's horrifying. So, who knew, who knew that an application created by a guy who uh, started Facebook as a way to rate women's appearances would be a fucking <laughs> lunatic who didn't really care about which, other people's yeah, privacy? And, which is probably the least like, scary thing about Facebook today. Yeah. No, I know, really. It, it's, so it's, listeners, if you guys have an opinion on what you want us to review in the future, let us know. You can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash move left idiots, I think. That is correct. You are correct, uh, sir. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at move underscore left. I'm at a polybent, P-O-L-I-B-E-N-T. I'm at the, um, it's, it's like an A, but it's like a, the, the appersand. It's like a little A with a circle around it. Uh, it's like a Twitter thing. I don't know if you guys know about it, but it's it's uh, uh, at chaosbot5000. Can. Yeah, you can follow Comrade's alternate account at uh, at Candace Aston. <laughs> well, today uh, it's a A N D I C E. <laughs> today, <laughs> Paul Ryan Gosling. Paul Ryan Gosling. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna say today it's uh, at Medium because you quit uh, Twitter because uh, <laughs> you got banned, but you didn't even want to be on there anyway. No, I've been, they were all I've been not seeing the word uh, twat or cunt on Twitter lately, so I haven't been banned for a while. So I don't know if you need to bleep that up or not. Nah, that's fine. I don't bleep. <laughs> Cheerio, Governor. Unless one of us, uh, yeah, one of us admits to a crime, or uh, you know, we could just say Charlie did it, though. So, you Charlie know. did it. Definitely. All right. Well, check us out next week, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you then.